Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Welcome to the What the Heck Just Happened in Free Agency edition of Pro Basketball Talk Podcast. It has been a wild few days, and we're going to break it all down. Kevin Durant, Dwayne Wade. And joining me to talk about all of this is our own Dan Feldman from here at NBC Sports. Uh, how's it going, Dan? Good. How are you? Good. i got to say, I expected, or I would say more unexpected, is... Dwayne Wade leaving Chicago to me than, than Kevin Durant. I mean, we talked about Durant and that possibility for some time. The, the Wade thing, I just didn't see him leaving, and a lot of people around the league just didn't see him leaving where he really, they, they thought the, they, they'd work out a deal. Yeah, maybe we should have seen him coming a little more than we did. I mean, how many years does he have to hint around and say, like, I'm interested in other offers. I want more money. I want more respect. And for the Heat to so overtly say, Hassan Whiteside is our priority, and for it to be reported that yeah. Kevin Durant is their true priority, you know, that leaves Wade out of the picture. And you know, they came with a decent offer, but after everything else that they had been through earlier this offseason and years before, I can see why Wade was a little insulted. Yeah, and I think this did come down to to respect. I mean, the, Pat Riley and the and people around the Heat are big on preaching culture, are big on hey. You know, it's different here. We take care of our own. It's a different culture than most of these clubs. We've built something special. We've built a family. Then you turn around when it's business time, and it's a cold, hard business, and you're telling Dwayne Wade, hey, take a little less, take a little less. And look, he did. He was willing to take less when it meant bringing in, you know, LeBron James and, and, you know, restructuring people and what what have you. He, you know, restructuring Chris Bosh, and I think he thought Bosh would take less. Of course, Bosh takes the max. But they, if you preach that, and if you preach family, you've got to back that up to a degree. They, I guess he wanted not quite the Kobe contract, but something a lot more like the Kobe contract, and Pat Riley and company were not willing to go there. Well, I think the key difference with Kobe in that situation, that's been the big comparison, uh, is that... The Lakers preemptively went to Kobe and said, hey, we're giving you this extension. Yeah. Where the Heat, I think, sort of took a different approach, which I think is what the Lakers should have done. And they sort of presented it to Wade, although they didn't really give him the option in the end. But I think there were some designs of, hey, we can sort of keep it fluid with Wade. 
You know, we can show him what other pieces we can bring around with him if he takes a little yeah. less. Show him what the options are. If you take X, we can add this player. If you take Y, we're only going to be able to add this player. And Because Wade had accommodated them so many times, they probably figured, okay, he'll be okay with a lesser amount. Uh, where with, with Kobe, you know, there was never that option put in front of him of, hey, do you want to take less to play with better teammates? Here's who we can get. It was, we're giving you the money. And so I think the Heat ran into a problem because they maybe they thought Wade would, would do that again. And maybe they would have even been willing to, if Wade pushed for it and was pushing for it, been willing to pay him more. But they obviously didn't do it quickly enough or in the right manner to appease Wade. Well, I think, true. It, it, if they came to him with that first $10 million offer and, and th- that has been reported, and let's say, I mean, look, I'm sure that that came with, hey, we're going after Durant and Whiteside. If we get them... You know, we're going to get Whiteside. If we can get Durant, we're going to need you at, you know, $10 million or less to make this work, and we're going to have to do some other stuff. But, you know, we're back to being the Miami Heat, and it's awesome. I I really don't think that they presented it that way, or at least not smoothly enough, where Wade took it as a, they're offering me $10 million. And, and understand, frankly, understandably was insulted by that in this market because... Wade, even at this point in his career, is is more than a $10 million player in this market. What do you think about the theory that Pat Riley engineered this all along because he didn't want to keep Wade at you know these prices, that it would make the, the heat too constrained in future seasons, that Wade is 34 with bad knees and on the decline, and Pat Riley saw that from the get-go and basically pushed Wade out? Um... I don't think that's implausible, although I don't know if it was part of a master plan or just... I don't think he... I think he looked at what happened with the Lakers and Kobe, even like you said, despite the difference of that situation, that hamstrung them. They couldn't do anything for a couple of years except draft and, and, you know, you go on the Byron Scott developmental program, which can be discussed later as, as to how effective that really is. But they hamstrung themselves with that contract. And I think he's like, I am not going there. If we're going to you know, go down the rebuilding post-LeBron era, we're going to have flexibility. We're going to have uh, all these other options. And part of that was Wade taking the Tim Duncan, you know, Dirk Nowitzki discount that Wade wasn't willing to do. Wade well felt he'd, he'd given his, you know, over the last couple of years and <clears throat> that he should be made whole. So I... I don't know. It's possible. Maybe maybe Riley was that forward-thinking. I got a feeling it was more like he saw that as an acceptable outcome. Like, he went into this yeah, I, with, with, with the, like, well, if that's how this ends up, so be it. Yeah, I agree with you. you know, I, I do think it's plausible, but I just think that's much more accurate way to put it. I think it, that whole theory just gives Riley way too much credit. I, you know, and I think this is damaging a lot of ways to the Heat. Like you were talking about earlier, their whole perception as a place where, you know, with family values and, and to their credit, all the sacrifices Wade made, they paid off. I mean, the Heat yeah. added talent. They got LeBron. They got Bosch. They got, they added Ray Allen. You know, whatever Wade sacrificed, it worked out. They, got, mean, two, they exactly got two rings out wanted. of it. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, they got a couple of rings out of it. You, that part really did work. They didn't, they didn't make him whole. But I also will say this going forward, I would so much rather be the Miami Heat than the, the Chicago Bulls right now. I mean, it's it's not even close. They are they do have some cap flexibility. We'll see what happens with Bosch. I I'm I'm hoping his career isn't, you know, 
over. We'll we'll see what it happens with him. But you've still got Whiteside. You've still got Drogic, uh, who will now have his hand, ball the ball in his hands at the end of games, which is something that didn't happen enough of last year, frankly. Um, at least during the regular season, Wade was look. Wade still put up 19 points a game. Wade was really did step it up in the playoffs. I don't want to diminish that he you know, he was in 74 games. This is the most he's played in a while. I'm not sure how long he can replicate that. You know, we'll see. But you've got Winslow. You've got some nice pieces and some cap space. I I think that they're on a better path to rebuilding, and I can see what kind of team that can be. Where I don't see that at all with Chicago, unless you don't like teams that can shoot or can't shoot. Are that? That's an interesting dichotomy of which team you'd rather have going forward. Uh, I don't know if it's quite enough just to say it's the Heat and that you know proves something because it was probably I don't the think heat it, yeah going in, into the season into the off season also. Uh, but the Bulls are in a pretty good place. You have Jimmy Butler, you have uh, Nikola Mirotic, and Wade's going to be a draw. I mean, he's a name, and if he can follow up with a strong season this year, which is no guarantee, but if he can. And maybe maybe he's willing to take more of a discount in Chicago than he was in Miami because the Bulls came through and showed they valued him. They traded two players and draft picks and paid him this big contract just to get him. He has that player option next year. He could use that toward helping the Bulls build something in 2017 free agency. Yeah, they're going to need it because I, I'm not, like this year that I'm not I don't like the roster. You've got Butler, you've got Rondo, you've got Wade. None of them can shoot from the outside. You can pack it in on this team, and the only guy you got to guard out there that's starting is probably Miritich. And you know when Jimmy Buckets comes off the bench, Robin Lopez is in the paint, but he's not terribly mobile. Uh, I just I, I don't think they're a terribly good team. But I think your point about Wade going forward as a recruiter is true. I, I think that that's the hope that he can draw. You know, look, 2017 is a much deeper free agent class. 2018 maybe they can draw another big name. And then suddenly things look, you know, start to fit better. Honestly, the best three-point shooter on the Bulls right now might be Fred Hoiberg. <laughs> I, I would also add, it's not just Wade as a recruiter, somebody going out and talking to players and having that reputation. It's also, you know, I think most people would agree if you take a step back, the Bulls, the Dwayne Wade is going to be better next season than uh, Mike Dunleavy and Jose Calderon. Well, yeah, and, yes. And, and the couple second-round picks for the Lakers are, are pretty minimal. And so you need to be a good team to recruit free agents. Like, guys are not going to want to come to a team that misses the playoffs. So I think it was important to the Bulls to, to be good next year, whether it's a, a player like Wade who, who has that name recognition and can go into meetings with prospective free agents or just any other good player who maybe is lesser known but who can help the team win and keep that perception that Chicago is a place people want to go. Yeah, but I don't know that they're much more than a seven or eight, a six, seven, eight seed. I honestly, but I think there's a, a huge difference between that and missing the playoffs in the eyes of a lot of free agents. No, I'll, I'll give you that, but yeah, I think you know it'll be interesting to see again. I think it's hard to predict where Miami lands this coming season because so much would be dependent on on Bosch, and 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 how, that that obviously has a huge impact on on a lot of things with them. But I just I think going forward, but I don't again I. I'm just not sold on Pax, you know, the, the, the Foreman Paxson system and them having a grand plan that, you know, we knew the Rondo, look, I don't think the Rondo signing was a smart move when they did it. I'm not, I mean, I guess they had to go get a point guard, but I'm just not that high on him. And now you, and I didn't know how well he'd play with Butler. Now you add another ball dominant guy in there. 
that kind of likes isolation, and they don't, you know, got three basic ball stoppers, um, and two of them don't play good defense. So I'm just, I'm not sold that they're very good at all, especially now that they don't have Noah or anybody else really protecting the paint. Well, I, I guess with Rondo, and the late signing obviously complicates it after the fact, and maybe yeah. the Bulls should have seen this coming more, but maybe they were like the rest of us and didn't think it well, was. I, I don't think they saw it coming. I just I didn't like the Rondo signing from the start, regardless of, of Wade. I was fine with the Rondo signing because the Bulls had all this money to spend at the time. You know, This is before maybe Wade entered the picture. They had all this money to spend. They needed a point guard. Rondo was the best point guard on the market. Only the first year is fully guaranteed. I, I guess I can't give full judgment on the signing until I see how much of the second year is guaranteed. But assuming it's a very minimal amount, I just don't see much downside to it. Yeah, it is. There is the mitigating factor of it basically being one year, like you said, if it's not heavily guaranteed in that second year. Um, but it's still a surprise. It does shift power a little bit in the East. Although I will say I like Mike Dunleavy for the Cavs for basically what they're getting and what they can use him for. Um, that. They kind of sliding in there. He's not a game changer for them, but he doesn't hurt them either. No, he definitely doesn't hurt them. I mean, at his age, I think people tend to tend to ask too much of those players and think too much of them. But he should still probably be good as a spot up shooter, and and that offense, both stars, will get him open looks. And even if his all around game has deteriorated, he'll still be okay. Yeah, exactly. He will. He will, he will survive somehow. He'll be fine. Um, We'll move on to that other little bit of news that came right after the last podcast we dropped. Uh, Kevin Durant going to the Oklahoma, leaving the Oklahoma City Thunder, heading to the Golden State Warriors in a move that that creates... Uh, we'll see if they're a super team. I think they've got to actually win. Every time we anoint a super team, they kind of disappoint. But the best shooting team in NBA history, pretty good shot they're going to be that. I, like That team is just going to be able to knock it down. Well, they were the best shooting team in NBA history last year, and they didn't have Kevin Durant. <laughs> so, so they, so you're saying this is an upgrade over Harrison Barnes? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> Maybe just a smidge. I, you know, obviously, I think it's an interesting gamble and move by the Warriors, who both, you know, obviously lost in the finals, but also I think we're just looking ahead and saying, all right, what do we have to do to get to the next level? What steps do we need to take? that push us farther because if we keep going with the status quo, we'll, we lost this one and we're not going to, if we stick with the status quo, it's not getting better. I, I like that thinking and I like that they were flexible and aggressive enough to go after the biggest name on the market and land him. Yeah, absolutely. There was this real false sense from some people that their choice was Kevin Durant or bringing back a 73 win team. It doesn't work that way. Everybody's a year older, a year different. And the supporting pieces beyond Harrison Barnes they gave up are all aging veterans who are all likely to decline. Uh, Iguodala is probably likely to decline, I think, although I've been thinking that for a couple years now. Uh, so this this team, if you bring back the same players, is probably not going to be as strong. So there was definitely potential, regardless of what it was there, uh, for them to make a move and shake things up a little bit around the edges. When it's Kevin Durant, it's a no-brainer, and it baffles me that there was any discussion about whether it was a good idea or not. Yeah, no, to me it was a smart move by them. I, I'm not a big fan of the Kevin Durant backlash that they came, that he was soft. Or weak. I mean, we can get into this, but I, I've certainly covered it on Twitter a lot. First off, he's a free agent. He gets to make his own decisions, just like Dan, just like myself, just like everybody listening. You can do what you... Look, if... 
if if another network came to me and offered me way more money or way better working conditions, I would take it. Yeah, Dan would. I'm gonna guess take it. Like, no, I'm I'm loyal to. I'm sorry. To NBC. I'm not going anywhere ever, ever, ever. Okay. <laughs> exactly. So I think the option is there, but beyond that, I don't buy the argument that he look. Nothing's given away. I don't think we're gonna look back in ten years and goes well. He. he Chased a ring with his buddies. Nobody look. He got. A, did he get rings? And I would you say that they need to get two over the next you know three to four years to kind of validate this? Honestly, you know what I think they need to validate this. Lose next year, just like LeBron did with the Cavs, just like LeBron did with the Heat. This is not given to them. No, I no. don't know why people are saying this. How many times do you need to see it? Like you said, I mean, there's an adjustment period, and there'll be an adjustment period here. I think this team fits better on paper than the Cavs did, than the Heat did, but there'll still be an adjustment period, and maybe they'll still be so good and they'll overcome it, but we should give them credit for overcoming it. We won't, but we should. So I, I really think for legacy, the best thing they can do is lose this year. And then come back and win. Yeah, that I, I can see that argument, and I do definitely agree. It's not going to be that simple. It's not going to be... like They are going to have to overcome some stuff. It just... Every time you put a superstar team together and we anoint it, whether it's the 2004 Lakers or, or what have you, every time we do that, things go wrong. Things don't work out as planned. And hopefully, you know, in their case, they don't suffer a bunch of catastrophic injuries or anything. But it's never as smooth. It's never as easy. There are questions. Are they going to be as good defensively? Uh, you know, are they going to, you know, they gave away some of that depth. Will that hurt them over the course of, of 83 games? Now, they went out and got some some nice minimum signings at bit, you know, for bigs picking up uh, Pachulia and just, I like the moves. They made. Oh, David West, you know, nice, solid pickups, but I, I don't know that their depth isn't better or I don't think as good as it was last year. No, it's not. I mean, that, again, that doesn't come close to, you know, being a problem relative to the pros. No, the, the scary thought of, you could always have Stephen Curry or Kevin Durant on the floor. Opposing defenses could never get arrested. I mean, that's that's terrifying. Yeah, exactly. One other thing is that there was this Kevin Durant, the coward, the easy way out. Honestly, there's a lot of pressure on Durant with this move in this sense. This team's won a ring. If they don't win a ring this year, if they struggle you know, to win a ring over the next couple of years, it's not Curry that's going to face the brunt of this. It's, it's, it's Kevin Durant couldn't, you know, couldn't bring it in the, you know, couldn't fit in with the new guys, whatever, whatever this breaks out. He's the guff, he's the fall guy. I think that there is a real pressure on him to make this work and to buy into what they're, you know, look, you went there saying you wanted to buy into a system. You wanted a team that moved the ball because Oklahoma city wasn't doing that. You got to do that. You've got to be part of that culture and team now. That's a great point. I mean, in the simplest terms, this is how people look at it. He's the difference. They won 73 games without him. You add him and something goes wrong. Then it's going to be his fault. That's a great point. The coward stuff is silly. A lot of the same people calling him a coward are saying, you know, if he'd stayed in the, in Oklahoma City, the Thunder would have been the favorites to win. All right, so he's a coward for leaving the team you thought would have been the favorite? I mean, it's just silly. Yeah, exactly. Just, look, he's got to do what he thinks is best for him and, and long-term. And look, I don't think for a second that this conversation, that the, that his looking around conversation, conversations didn't begin with a conversation with Russell Westbrook. And and the feeling around for a long time around, some around the league, was that Westbrook was the guy more likely to be drawn to the bright lights of, in big cities of other markets. Uh, the Thunder actually feel 
kind of confident internally that they can keep him. Um, now that, we'll see. I mean, honestly, they think but they, they, they think that he likes the challenge. That said, I don't know how much... Look, he's also said he wants to look around. He can't. They can't take the risk. They can't. They can't roll the dice that he does resign, even if they think he might, because they can't lose these two guys for nothing. Those are two very different things, and if the Thunder are conflating them, they're fooling themselves. Do I think Russell Westbrook is going to embrace the challenge of being the guy in Oklahoma City as long as he's in Oklahoma City? Absolutely. I think he's going to attack that full bore, and it can be very good for the team as long as he's there. But that doesn't mean he's going to want to stay. That doesn't mean that's his first preference once he becomes a free agent and the whole the whole league is going after him those are two very very different things and i don't know if the thunder actually believe that or if they're putting out those signals to yeah. increase trade value or to calm fans or whatever but if they if they believe those two are the same thing they're they're going to be in for i don't, I don't, th- I don't think they i don't necessarily think they believe they're the same things i will say what they believe is that there was external pressure from the people around durant to shake things up go to another market to win something that, that it was time for a change and the people around Durant were influencing him and that he's the kind of guy who is in, able to be influenced where Westbrook but no, tr- okay but I'm, I'm saying that's the spin whether you but I yeah. think that's separate from Westbrook look we you know Westbrook is a little more knows who he is wants to be there but I don't think he I think he he has said look I'm gonna look around like, I'm going to see what, you know, you're not a free agent that often. I at least want to be pitched. He can let the Thunder pitch him. Um, but I don't think they can take that risk. I don't think they can. They they have to get something back for him. They have to. Because if they're both gone for nothing, your rebuild is starting just too far back. And you can still get real value for Russ. Even though, by the way, you'll have all sorts of leverage in this, you know. Hey, we got a really good deal for you to go to, you know, the Bucks. I don't want to resign. I'm probably not going to resign there. That's the end of it. <laughs> you know, it, he's got some yeah. leverage in this. I think the idea that Durant is this impulsive guy and made an impulsive decision and was swayed by the people around him is all kind of silly. Because if he had resigned with the Thunder, and he might have, you know, I mean, there's a universe in which he did, and I'm sure he thought about it. If he had re-signed with the Thunder, the spin would have been Durant is this calm, cool guy with you know who's not this impulsive guy who who looked at his options, saw his best financial route was a one plus one in Oklahoma City, who saw how close the team was and didn't get swayed by the big lights. I mean, the narrative of who he is as a person completely would have changed based on a call that was what 70-30? I mean. Yeah. Not nearly 100%. I'm sure whatever he would have decided, like he wasn't like 100% sure I had to go to the Warriors. I'm sure he was thinking a part of him, maybe I should re-sign with the Thunder. And I think if he had re-signed with the Thunder, it would have been the opposite of what the narrative was, that he was afraid to go, that you know there would, he was afraid of all that pressure that you talked about. Yeah. And he just wanted the easy way out. I think that's what resigning with the Thunder would have been, and I think he would have regretted it. Yeah, I, I think that you could have certainly spun it that way, too. So, look, the end of the day, he's in Oklahoma, uh, or in Golden State. They are now the, you know, clear favorites for an NBA title. I think, you know, the power, when I redo the power rankings at the start of next week, after some, you know, after the free agency summer shakeout, the Cavs get to start on top because they're the champions, and the champions always get to start in the top slot. But I think we all think 
Golden State, I don't think they're winning 73 games. I don't think they're going to chase that that hard again. But that team probably wins in the mid-60s pretty handily. And they are going to be, boy, if they start to put that thing together, I just don't know how you defend that. Would you take the Warriors or the field for the 2017 title? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I'm still going to take the field right now. Like, it's all, it's almost okay. feels 50-50 to me. But I probably, because, look, Cleveland's still going to be there. Um, they're going to be, you know, they're still going to be good a bit on the, the, uh, the, uh, the I, I expect a hangover, unlike what we saw with Golden State this year. I expect a, a championship hangover, but by the playoffs, they'll be ready to roll again. Um, and maybe even buying a little more into what Tyron Lue wants to do. The Spurs are still going to be good, and we'll probably, you know, there will be other moves and other shakeups. Although, right now, I, it's hard for me to imagine the championship not going through one of those three teams because the sec- who's second best now in the East? Boston or Toronto? Boston, yeah. Yeah, and that's still, they're still a whole notch below, probably even the Clippers, frankly. Uh, I still think that you know the second best team in the East is the fifth best team in the West, arguably. So um, I I really think it's like if it's not Golden State, then it's probably the Spurs out of the West, and I don't think there's anybody on Cleveland's level right now. Okay, yeah, I mean I'm also right around fifty fifty. So I you know depends when you're asking me. Right now I I think I guess I'd say the Warriors, but ask me in ten minutes, I might say the field. Yeah, it's it's yeah, I think it's a pretty interesting toss up, and again. Maybe there's some trades. Maybe there's some stuff. You know, we mentioned the Clippers. There's, I think you're going to see the trades start to come pretty soon, or not pretty soon, but you'll start to see some interesting trade talk and rumors as we head into the season. Only because teams are now starting to say, all right, what did we get and not get? And all right, who's out there that might be available? I, you know, I don't think the Bulls are moving Jimmy Butler, but um, you know, with the Clippers now, now that they've looked at their free agency and frankly gotten worse because they're not as deep. Um, would they consider a Blake Griffin move? Could they look around? You know, what what moves are some of these teams going to make that could shift? Blake Griffin could shift the balance of power for a number of teams. So I mean, or somebody of that caliber. So it's going to be interesting to see how how the rest of, of the summer shakes out. Boston, by the way, one of my big free agency winners. Like I don't. Who do you have on the winner list? Boston to me is because they finally got somebody who's not a superstar. Who's not look? He's not a top five player in the NBA. Probably not even top ten right now. But they got a star to come that makes them better and opens the door for next year and, and bringing in other guys. Oh, yeah, definitely. Boston, definitely a winner. Golden State, obviously a winner. Yeah. Uh, the Grizzlies are winners. Yeah. Keeping Mike Conley and then Adley, adding to him the Parsons on top of it. Just keeping Conley would have been enough to make him a winner because they were in no position to pivot into rebuilding. If they lost Conley, they would have been completely lost as a franchise. Yeah, I think that the, yeah, I think that that's really a good point. I the, I like what they've done. They're again fourth best team, third fourth best. I mean, how how high do they finish? But that said, that's a team in a market that has been tough to sell. And suddenly, look, the grit and grind continues. They're probably if Chandler Parsons, you know, is healthy, they're better. If Chandler Parsons is healthy much most of the year, they're they're considerably better and. Maybe they make the second round. Maybe they pull off some upsets. So, you know, I that's a really good move, and it's a good move in a market that, that that market loves that team right now, and when the rebuild comes, I don't know if you'll be able to maintain that. So I can't, I'm not going to blame them for kind of looking at the now as opposed to the future in that market. 
Yeah, I mean, there's no shame in being a team that's pretty close to a lock to make the playoffs and is a good threat to win one, maybe two series. There's no shame in that, and especially where they were coming from, where the downside was just yeah. years of futility. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, by the way, I understand why Al Horford might want to get out of a situation like that and look around and, and think about where he could land that, that's... I don't, not that Boston's winning a title this year, but they're a little more dynamic right now. And they've got, you know, they've certainly got the assets to make trades. They've got flexibility. They're going to be a team going forward that I think is on the rise. So uh, the other team, by the way, that I've loved their offseason is Utah. I, I love it. But from, from the George Hill trade on through, I think that that team got better. I agree. I mean, I think that was a team without external additions was primed to make a big leap. I thought they were primed to make a big leap. Last year, injuries got them away a little bit, and they weren't quite as close as I thought. Uh, but I still think they're they're ready to do it. And then you add you know, George Hill and Joe Johnson, those supporting pieces, yeah. and Boris Diaw now. Yeah, I, I think you know if you want to talk about a team, so this going back, you mentioned the Spurs is the second biggest threat in the West, and they'll be good, of course. But I think one, they're not as good as they were last year. Two, the Warriors are better. And three, the Spurs now match up worse with the Warriors than they did last year. Yeah. So because we've seen so much of those teams going against each other and being sort of the matchup, I think it's hard to project the Spurs as a real threat. But the Jazz, I don't think they'll be as good as the Spurs, but I like how they match up with the Warriors. What they can do defensively, I think, can make life uneasy for Golden State. I would agree there. Their defense is going to be really, really dangerous this year just because they've got... The, uh, probably the best, if not the, you know, probably the best rim protector in the league and go bear back there. Certainly you can argue a couple other guys, but as good as anybody back there. And they've got length. And and George Hill and Dante Exum up top and, and just long guys everywhere. They, they were really good a couple years ago. They slipped a little last year just because, um, like, I think people watching the games for the Jazz at home sprained an ankle. Like, everybody got injured around them. But that's a team that's really going to be dangerous going into next year. Yeah, there were just a lot of interesting moves this year. I assume you think, by the way, that that the Lakers picking up Jose Calderon saves their entire offseason. Well, it is a bright spot to get a couple of second-rounders. I mean, those probably won't move the needle much, and it's not worth jumping up and down over, but you get a serviceable point guard on an expiring contract and a couple second-rounders for being at the right place at the right time. That's a nice move. Uh, Again, especially because it's on an expiring contract instead of investing all this long-term money into aging veterans. Like, say, Timofey Moscow? And Luol Deng. And even (laughs) Jordan Clarkson more than you need to up front. The Clarkson, I I think that that offer kind of fit with the market a little bit. Deng didn't bother me too much. Deng, Deng, it just, is he a little older? Yeah, but I think you'll be able to move that deal. And I think he's a guy who at least fits in their locker room and gives them some versatility. Well, with Clarkson, it wasn't the dollars. The dollars were fine. It's that if you had let him sign an offer sheet, he would have been around five, six million dollars this year and next. And True. I, you know, if you're the Lakers, maybe this is maybe this is I'm being unfair. Maybe the Lakers are so forward thinking that they realize nobody's going to want to come to us in 2017 either. Let's play Clarkson more then and save money later because maybe by 2018 or 19 we can actually be free agent players. But I would probably be a little more optimistic and hope the Los Angeles market and Luke Walton 
and some young players maybe putting it together a little bit by the end of the season, a deep free agent class in 2017, somebody would want to come and you, by your own choice, you're going to be paying Jordan Clarkson about $6 million more than you need to next summer. And with the news today of the cap going down, there's even less margin for, for error for the Lakers with those decisions. Um, and Tyler, you, you would prefer then a, basically what a, the Tyler Johnson type of contract that he signed with the, the Lakers, yeah. Yeah, where uh, for people who don't know, he makes the mid-level the next two years, so just a little under six, and then it's eighteen, a little over 18 and 19 and to, to max out at 50 over the, the same amount as Clarkson over the same number of years, but uh, it's broken out financially very differently, although the pill there is if, if Miami matches, they, while they pay that much, they take the $12.5 million cap hit every year across the board. Uh, other way, the, the Nets would have the $12.5 million each year. Oh, and I spin that, I'm sorry, I, you're right, I spun yep. that backwards, right. So, and, and so the Lakers, likewise, if they would have matched a Clarkson offer, she would have would have paid, you know, the small amount the next two years, the bigger amount the two following, and the cap hit would have matched. And I think to preserve 2017 cap space, that would have made sense. Although I also didn't think it made sense to to give four years to Dang and Mozgov, and you know, those guys might help you in the short term, but I don't think enough to to justify that outlay. Yeah. Well. I don't think anybody's a fan of the Mozgov contract. Although, as as I discussed in a beha- with Sean in the last podcast, I'll argue it's not the worst deal of the. <laughs> I, I still think the Evan Turner deal is the one that leaves me, and I and I'm a Neil Olshake fan, and I love so much they've done in Portland. That's the one that left me just like, you paid who? How much? Yep, I'm completely with you. I I thought the Evan Turner deal was horrendous. Not only is he not worth that money in a place he fits well. I don't think he's a good fit there. Part of his skill is generating shots for himself, shots for others. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum can do that better. And and the way they juggle the rotation, it's usually McCollum or Lillard's on the court at all times. It's a a method I've liked. I think it's worked very well for them. And so I just, I don't know what Turner's adding there. Yeah, exactly. There was just, that was, that was a bit of a head scratcher. I'm just not, I've never... Not as sold on Evan Turner clearly as Neil Olshay is, but he's smarter than I am. So maybe, maybe he will prove us wrong, Dan. This will not be the first time I've been proven wrong. You're usually right. I am. I am. Well, I, I would like to congratulate you for just mounting the best defense I've heard of the Timothy Mozgov deal. It's not the worst one of the summer. <laughs> it is about the only thing I can defend that one for. I just, I know that. Yeah, look, does he, does he provide rim protection? It just he is so not what they need at the five in a Luke Walton offense. And not that they were going to get Hassan Whiteside because they couldn't even get a meeting, but Mozgov is an expensive way to solve that problem for a guy who's just kind of big and oafish and slow and, and not and aging. And just, like, I think they're might On the right deal, I don't want to bash Mozgov too much because I think on the right deal, on the right team, is kind of a backup in limited minutes. Like, I think he has a role in the NBA, especially if he can get back to playing kind of healthier the way he did a couple years ago. But it's not necessarily that role on the Lakers at that price. Yeah, if he's healthy, if he's magically completely healthy and where he was a year ago, that actually might be a good sign. I don't dislike the fit as far as playing style quite as much as you do. To me, it's more about, like, look at his age, Look at where his health has been. You just can't count on somebody like that to magically turn healthy, to magically recover in an offseason. And if he's not, then you're paying a lot of money for a guy who's breaking down and getting older. Exactly. 
All right, Dan, thanks for uh, taking a few minutes to do this. The po- NBC's PBT podcasts are going to slow down a little bit. I will be hopefully having one from the Summer League in Las Vegas next week. Um, we will probably, Dan Dan and I and maybe some others will be around during the Olympics a little to, to talk uh, talk about the U.S. kind of crushing the rest of the world for gold. I'll also be in Vegas for um, the start of Team USA camp and hopefully can do something out of there. But the podcast will slow down as we get into the summer and we'll ramp back up uh, as we head into the fall and into the into the season uh, as we go next year. Uh, we'll do some preview stuff for sure. Dan, where can everybody find you on Twitter? Dan Feldman, NBA. And uh, I'm Kurt Heelan. I'm at Basketball Talk. You can find this podcast and subscribe via iTunes. You can subscribe on the Stitcher app, uh, which is phenomenal. It's a great way to kind of organize your podcasts and and listen to them because there's Dan and you're not Dan cheats on me and is on other podcasts as well. But there's just that's one of the great things about being an NBA fan right now. There's just a ton of really good podcasts if you go looking around. So if you go searching around NBA podcasts, you can find some really quality stuff out there right now. Um, oh, there sure are. It's a it's a, it's a deep pool I, right I, now. I prefer reading work, but there are so many, including this one, so many just like great analysis that are. On podcasts, you have no choice if you're a serious fan but to listen to these. Yeah, there's just great stuff up and down the board. So check us out, like I said, on iTunes, on Stitcher, uh, our, on Audio Boom. We have a homepage where you can listen to this and past podcasts. Thanks for listening, and uh, we will be back soon with talking a little NBA Summer League. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.